We're in Philippians chapter number 3 for our text today. We continue our study through the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter number 3 for our text today. As we consider that next portion of our studies. It was many years ago when Heidi was a little baby and she was cutting teeth. Most of you know what happens when little babies start to get their teeth. Kind of hurts and they get pretty miserable and they get pretty cranky and they cry a lot, don't they? There's a product called Oragel that helps baby not to cry so much. But sometimes two or three teeth come in at once nothing seems to help when that happens. Well, Cheryl's mom and dad said to us, there's an old remedy, you know, that works. And we said, we'd try anything, whatever you got. And they dug out of a dusty old cupboard a bottle with about two or three ounces of whiskey left in the bottom. And they said, rub a little of that on her gums and that will help. It's one of those old remedies. Well, we were quite willing to give it a try by that time. And I do not remember if it worked or not. I can't remember whether it was any good. But I do remember something that happened during that time. It was one evening we had two fellows stop at our house. And I looked out the window and didn't recognize either one of them. And they came up to the door and they said, we just stopped to offer you some reading material, and they gave us a little gospel tract. So we invited them in. And they said they were from a local church, and they said, we want to talk to you about being a Christian. I said, oh, well, I am a Christian. And they looked at me, they said, you are not. <laughs> now that kind of took me back for a minute. Usually if you tell someone you're a Christian, why they naturally say, oh, good, well, it's nice to meet you. You spend a few minutes chatting and getting to know each other, and that's kind of what I expected when I told them I was a Christian. But these two fellows said, no, you are not a Christian. So I hesitated a moment, then I said, well, yes, I am. And they said, no, you are not. They said a few more things, and then they left. And after they left, uh, and uh, said, I said to myself, what made those two fellas behave like that? They didn't even know me. I'm a total stranger. So I wonder why they insisted over and over that I wasn't a Christian. So I turned around, walked into the kitchen. There sitting on the table was that bottle of whiskey with two little ounces <laughs> in the bottom. I said, okay, now I get it. They saw it. I drank the rest of that bottle and figured I was a real drunk at five in the afternoon. After all, any good Christian wouldn't have a mostly empty bottle of whiskey on the kitchen table at supper time. <laughs> you see, they didn't judge me by what I said. They didn't judge me by what was in my heart. They judged me by a mostly empty bottle of whiskey sitting on my kitchen table. They judged me out of outward appearances. I'm thankful that Jesus said this, 
Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. So take my advice if you want to try that old remedy for babies. Don't leave it on the bottle on the kitchen table. <laughs> In our text today, we'll see what Paul says about outward appearances versus what's down inside your heart. So what have we learned so far in the book of Philippians? The church is always to act in love towards each other, and that kind of sacrificial love is to be our method of operation that the church uses to fulfill its mission. And its mission is to tell people about Jesus, the good news, the gospel. That's been the theme of Philippians so far. But the church at Philippi had a little problem. Sometimes they argued and they complained about some things. So Paul said, here's the solution. Always put others first. Always think of what others need and want. And that will help you to stop arguing. And Jesus, as a wonderful example, always put others first until he finally died for others. And Paul said, go out. Pour me out, use me up, if you will. He was like Jesus. And Timothy loved the Philippians, and Epaphroditus almost died serving the church at Philippi. That's what we had so far. Now we take up right where we left off, Philippians chapter 3, verse number 1. Finally, my brethren, wait a minute, wait a minute. It says, finally. Why does it say, finally? Right there, Philippians has four chapters. And this finally comes right in the middle. Two chapters, and there's two more to go. And Paul says, finally, like he's finished. It's not a postscript, you know. People put P.S. on the end of the letter. And it says, I I forgot to say this, I'm going to add it on. He's only half done. So why did he say, finally? Because the reason he wrote the letter was to correct their problem, that they argued too much. And so he finished giving the solution to their problems. So he's done. So he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. So be happy. He said, I want you to be happy in God. I didn't write this letter to make you miserable. I wrote it so you'd be happy. Loving each other, doing what God's will is, and it's a happy way to live. So rejoice, be full of love, and obey God, and be happy. But he's about to repeat something he's told them before. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. For we beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. Have no confidence in the flesh. He says, I don't mind repeating. I've said this to you before. And I don't mind repeating it. I'm going to say it to you again. After all, uh, I don't mind it. And it will keep you safe. I want to keep you safe. So I repeat the following good advice for you to follow. There were people who were going to come around and knock at their doors. Religious people. 
First Paul calls them dogs, and then he calls them evil. Now, you know that when you're around a strange dog, you move carefully, don't you? You don't just run up to it, because dogs bite. And these people who knock at your door, he said, might very well bite you like a dog. After all, they operate on evil motives. He says they don't have your best in mind. They want to gain you as one of their converts. He's warning them about people that are going to come around and want to talk to them. Jesus, when he was on earth, talked about this same group of people. And he said of them, they will cross land and sea, cover the world just to make one disciple. And when they make that one disciple, they'll make him twice as bad as they are. (laughs) Their nature is to get you to do what they want so they can say, I got one more notch in my belt. Who are they? Who are these people that he's warning them about? They were Jews, and they went from church to church telling people that they couldn't claim to be real Christians unless they were circumcised in the old Jewish tradition. And they would visit a church, and the church people say, Hey, we're Christians, and the Jews would say, No, you're not. So why did Paul say these were evil dogs? Because true religion is always what's on the inside. It's what's in your heart. It's your relationship with God. Do you know God? Do you talk with him? Have you asked him to forgive you? And there is nothing on the outside of us that matters. Not being circumcised doesn't matter. Not a whiskey bottle on the table doesn't matter. No, not even attending a church service can make you a Christian. You've got to do business with God down deep in your heart. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, or that is, enjoy your relationship with God. These people are going to give you lots of rules and regulations to follow and make you miserable. And Paul says, you people at Philippi, you and I are God's chosen people. You and I are God's circumcised. Circumcised down in your heart and cut off from the rest of the world. Paul says, now listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. I used to be one of those people who followed all the Jewish rules. And I'll tell you my history. Here he goes in verse number four. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, 
that I might win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul says, I was born a Jew into the tribe of Benjamin. I followed all the rules that there were beginning when I was eight days old. I became highly educated, a leader of the Pharisees and that group that follows all the rules. I was a leader. And to prove I was better than all the Pharisees, I led the battle against this new thing that Jesus established called the church. I persecuted Christians and I threw them in jail. I was one of them. And all my advantages, my birth, my education, my leadership position, and my perfect following of all the rules, it all meant nothing now except for a pile of cow manure. That's what he said. It's useless to me. Because one day he said, I was riding down the road to Damascus, and I came face to face with somebody who knocked me off my horse and turned me immediately into a blind man crawling around in the dust. And as I was crawling around there blind, I cried out, Who are you? And he answered me in those chilling words, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Paul said, Jesus stopped me dead in my tracks. He uses the word apprehended. He apprehended me, or that is, he arrested me, and he took me into custody. And he says it was the best thing that ever happened to me. So I abandoned my old life right that very minute in the dust on the road of Damascus. I abandoned my life and I discovered the best things I'd ever known. And I learned the most excellent things I could ever have learned. I became a follower of Jesus way down deep in my heart. And now I'm filled with the desire to know Jesus more deeply. I want you to hear now my heart's cry. Here's the most famous verses in verse 10. That I might know him. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I would already attained. Either were already perfect. But I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press towards a mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. My great desire, he said, is to know Jesus better. I want to know, he says, the power of his resurrection. My friends, Paul is right. I wholeheartedly agree. I want the God that I serve to have power, especially resurrection power. 
The reason I wanted that so much because I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to die someday. Death is the most powerful thing I've ever come up against down here on this earth. I can't stop it and I can't control it. It comes a little closer to me every day. But Jesus can. He can resurrect me after I die and bring me back to life. So I'm not afraid to die. Jesus has the power to give me new life. And someday people are going to take me over the road over here. And they're going to put me down in that graveyard, drop me down in the ground. They're going to say, he's dead. Don't you believe it? I'll be more alive than I ever was before. I want a God with power. That's what Jesus is. Now let's go on. Verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable. Wait a minute. Wait just a minute. Did Paul just say he wanted the fellowship of Jesus' suffering? Fellowship means to share. Did Paul really want to share in Jesus' suffering? Jesus suffered horribly. He died in agony. That doesn't sound like something I want to share. What made Paul say that? Why did he say that? My friends... Let me explain something to you. I spent my life getting to know Jesus better. It fascinates me that Jesus walked on the water. And it thrills me that he raised Jesus or Lazarus from the dead. It captures my imagination that he made blind men to see. I am riveted by the parables he told. I'm spellbound by the Sermon on the Mount. Everything he did filled me with wonder and with awe. But when he was dying on that cross, when he suffered there for me, when he displayed such sacrificial love, and when I realized he was suffering it all for me, that he was had that shining moment on the cross, that's when he won my heart. I stand amazed, says the old song, in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. When I see him on the cross, in my mind's eye, when I see him in his sufferings, I think this, I would do anything to relieve his pain. Anything. 
He took the sin of all the world on his shoulders. We can never suffer like he did. It's not possible. But when we are down in suffering, we can say, I believe in him. And I call on him for help. And it can be our best moment. When we're having a hard time. Some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, some through great sorrow. Bill Barton is back in the hospital. He's having a battle and he's full of pain. He said, on a scale of 1 to 10, my pain is 15. I talked to him last night. He said, when I feel that pain like that, that intense pain, I just think of what Jesus did for me on the cross. I said, that's right, Bill, and nobody gave him any pain pills. My friends, suffering can bring out the best in you. And when you point to Jesus and say, look at him, look what he did, look how he loved you. That helps to relieve the suffering of Jesus. Every person who rejects Jesus breaks his heart. But when people accept him and pray to him and love him, it takes away his pain. And so we die with him, says Paul. We die to the world and to its hold on us and to every other thing around us. We don't respond to its call. We're dead to what the world wants. Instead, we follow Jesus. Paul says, I press on. I'm not perfect. I haven't finished yet, but I'll tell you what, I'm never going to quit. I'm going to keep going. Because at the end, you're going to win a prize, he said. It's the high calling of God. And you rise from the dead. And you live eternally under his wings. And you go to heaven and to a reward. Paul said it right. I am apprehended. I have been arrested. Taken into custody by Jesus. He owns me. And that's my overwhelming message to you Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord. And so my message to you East Shelbians is to rejoice in the Lord. Get to know God better. And anytime somebody says, you're not a Christian, just say, I know down deep in my heart, that's enough for me. It's real down inside of me. See, Paul couldn't finish his letter because he got all excited explaining what it is to be real and how wonderful it was to know Jesus. That's our message, Lord, that we have to give to tell people how wonderful it is, no matter what comes in life, how wonderful it is to know God We may go through the water and 
We may go through the flood. We may go through a fire. But God said, he'll come and he'll lift us up and give us a song, even in a dark night. So we trust in him with all our hearts. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, for what you've done for us, You've made it real to us down inside and nobody can take it away. And it lifts us up, helps us to rejoice and be glad in what you've done. We look at you on that cross and your suffering for us. And we say we owe our allegiance to you. We owe everything we have to you. And we will give you all of our heart. And we will never quit until we're finished with this race. Help us, Lord, we pray. Now honor you with our lives and do our best to serve you. Make us this kind of people here in East Shelby, determined to follow God right till the end. Bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, I'd like to sing a song with you. Jesus, keep me near the cross. I just got a note handed to me. They think Bill Barton may have had a stroke, so we're going to say a prayer right now before we sing. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray for Bill. Lord, we don't know his case right now. We know what he said about you yesterday, that you'd saved him, and that you were what he was thinking about. And so we know he's in good hands, whatever come what may, come through that fire. He's in good hands, in your hands. So we entrust him into your care and ask your blessing on him, come what may. Help him, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Stand together as we sing, Jesus keep me near the cross, on the front of your bulletin. Dear Lord, we come to you today and we ask 
for great hearts. The people of this place, wherever they are, may we have the hearts of Jesus Christ. May we be able to go out and share, not only in your glory, but in your sufferings. Give us the strength. Be with us, Lord. Help us to know that all things are nothing compared to knowing you. So we pray that that would be our first and foremost love in this life, and that all other things would fade away. Be with those folks out there who cannot be here. Protect them, and especially put your hand on Bill Barton and his family. Give them strength in this time and help them to know your presence. May it be very, very near to them in this time. Touch them in a special way. Be with all these folks as they go out into this world, and we know that evil reigns throughout the world, but we know that you are powerful and that you are with us all the time. You lead your dear children along, and we ask for that this week. We ask that you bring us back to this place, ready to worship in our hearts, longing for something new from you each and every day, new mercies every day. We thank you for your forgiveness and your mercy. We just ask for your help throughout this week and your protection on this place and on any other churches, those who are doing your will. We ask for these things in your name.